0: Well, 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 CW Fighters, if you are looking for a good laugh and some unforgettable experiences, then you definitely don't want to miss out on Encounter Quest quest or Paracon. Because let's be real, if you do miss out, you'll probably end up with two big regrets of your own. And trust me, they won't be as funny as mine. First off, there's the itch that I brought back from Vegas. Don't ask me about how I got it. Let's just say it involved a questionable decision. And then there's the time I let out a fart so big it practically registered on the Richter scale. And wouldn't you know it? A family of five walked in to the elevator right after. Let's just say the family hasn't been the same since. And I'm pretty sure they added elevator farts to the list of phobias. But let's get back on track, folks. Encounter Quest is April 1st. And Paracon is April 28th through 29th. There will be big name speakers, tons of merchandise, and communities that are so awesome they'll make you forget all about your own dysfunctional family. (laughs) Plus, there's so much to do. Uh, You will never get bored unless, of course, you're one of those people who finds excitement and enjoyment out of staring at a friggin' wall. So don't be like me and end up with two big regrets. Get your tickets now and join the fun. And who knows, maybe you'll even create some hilarious and embarrassing memories of your own. Also, let me tell you about a new exciting way to share your amazing encounters with us. And let me tell you, this is easier than flipping a pancake on a Sunday morning. All you have to do is hop over to our show notes and click on the link. That's it, folks. It's as simple as double tapping that screen, like you're playing a game of whack-a-mole. Once you're there, just click on the record button and let the magic happen. Whether you're using your phone, tablet, or computer, you can share your incredible stories with us, in the comfort of your own home, car, or even the bathroom, if that's your thing, And let's be real, who doesn't love a good bathroom encounter story? We promise we won't judge too much. So, what are you waiting for? Click on that link, and let's hear those stories. We might even air your story on the show, or schedule you in to be a guest on our show. On this episode, we're going to be interviewing Derek P. Gilbert, the man, the myth, the legend, When he's not busy analyzing the news for Skywatch TV, Derek is a devoted Christian, husband, and father. But let's be real, this guy doesn't just stop there. He's also the author of some groundbreaking books that will blow your mind. Bad Moon Rising takes a deep dive into the spiritual forces behind Islam. While the giant Inception and last Clash of the Titans will leave you questioning everything you thought you knew about end-time prophecy. And if that's not enough to satisfy your thirst for knowledge, Derek has also co-authored Giants, Gods, and Dragons with his wife, Sharon K. Gilbert. This book takes a new spin on end times prophecy by naming the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse and veneration is a deep dive into the ancient cult of the Raphaim. But wait, there's more. Derek has even co-authored The Day the Earth Stands Still with Josh Peck, which exposes the occult origins of ancient aliens. I mean, this guy just keeps knocking it out of the park. So if you want to have your mind blown and your beliefs changed, Derek P. Gilbert is the man you want to listen to. Trust us, you don't want to regret this either. if you have a story or encounter, shoot us an email or a detailed voice message to cryptidwarfare at gmail.com. That's C R Y T T I D W A R F A R E at gmail.com.
1: Welcome to Cryptid Warfare. So stoked you were here. Hey, and conspiracies! Hey, the... yeah. <laughs> yeah!
0: Conspiracies, the newest edition.
1: Hey, what's going on, guys? Uh, this is Drewski. Um, guys, we got an awesome guest today. He, is, I've been listening. Well, for one, he's uh, he's one of the spokesmen uh, for Skywatch. What? Um, uh, for Skywatch, and uh, also uh, I call it Sci Fridays. Me and my daughter say science a lot, so uh, <laughs> we got the whole the man, the myth, the legend, Derek Gilbert. Man, dude, we appreciate you coming on our podcast. Yes, brother, sir. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah. A wealth of knowledge, dude. Yeah. You're awesome, man. So oh, you guys are too away, kind.
2: Brother. You're too kind. <laughs> you're too kind. I mean, this is, this is really how Sharon and I started back in 2005. Um, we started out doing uh, the podcast PID radio, which stands for peering into darkness. Wow. Uh, and this was like, um, Epic. March of 2005, it was uh, less than six months after Adam Curry and uh, Dave Weiner had developed the code for syndicating podcasts, you know, the XML code for RSS feeds. So uh, we were trying to figure out a way to market the novels that we were writing back then. And so we did our first show and at the time we called it MythArc radio. Cause we were, we were going to write a series of novels under the name, the MythArc, and the publisher. Yeah. Well, he kind of took the title. And, and so after a few episodes, we wind up having to change the name. But anyway, after the first episode telling people why they should buy our books, it's like, okay, what do we do next week? And it's like, okay, well let's <laughs> talk about why we write these novels and these supernatural stories. And so um, that led to a series of interviews where we interviewed people like Tom Horn, L.A. Marzulli, Stan Deo, um, you know, Guy Malone, our, our missionary to Roswell, and Mike Heiser, and, and so many other people. And uh, that kind of snowballed a few years later, we were invited to uh, bring the podcast to a Prophecy Conference, where we met Tom Horn face-to-face for the first time. Um, somebody got the bright idea to set up a video camera in the room. And so the uh, the folks at uh, Prophecy Watchers were able to take those interviews and add them to the DVDs as like bonus content. And then they started asking us to speak at conferences. And then, you know, 2015 came along. Tom Horn invited us to move here to the Ozarks and partner with Skywatch TV. So it, it all started out with a podcast, which drew on my experience in radio broadcasting to try to do something I knew how to do, which is talk. Really, that's my only marketable skill and use it. <laughs> Okay. In, in a productive way. And so, uh, you know, that's led to where we are now that in a love of learning, I guess I, I can read, use a computer and I can speak. And, uh, so as my mother likes to tell people, Derek started talking at the age of 18 months and he hasn't stopped. So <laughs> <a> I <loving mother. laughs> just grateful and thankful that the Lord's found a way to use it.
1: Amen. What's so brother? Amazing, you... that... Oh, sorry. Oh, you good, Matt? Go ahead.
0: It's just like the little thing people uh, expect that um, the gift that the gifts that God gives them is going to be like and they have like all the all these ideas of, of what it needs to be or what it should be. When I'm like, no, I gave you a voice and and you have you're very eloquent with your speech. And I can use that. And just like with Moses. So I don't know. It's just it's, I, and I've noticed that, too, when listening to you. That's why I listen to your stuff. So it's, it's I don't know. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, and, and, and then you've got Sharon, who who says she doesn't like to speak in front of people. But when she does, she says yeah. things that make people go, what? She, <laughs> I've, I've seen her, you know, I, I've been blessed in that that there are times when the, the Lord just kind of fills me with with emotion and it helps the message, you know, be conveyed in, in a powerful way. Um, Steve Quayle's True Legends Conference back in. in I think it was 2019, 2018. Um, I, I did a presentation on giants and why they're important in scripture. And you know, we're we're at this theater in in Branson, this beautiful place called the Mansion Theater, like 3,500 people. And um, and Branson, it, Missouri is pretty. That's, it it yeah. is, and that theater is really just just amazing. So here I am in this stage where, like the week before, the Oak Ridge Boys had played or something.
1: Mm. Ah, good old. Oak Ridge and Ridge Boys. and so it's just like. <laughs>
2: you know and, and the response was was very very good but you know it's not for me it's it's it, because this this message comes from from the lord but i've seen sharon give presentations where people literally go ah oh. so when when she speaks people will listen but she's mm-hmm. you know so anyway god knew what he was doing when he brought us together because we we complement each other real well she she likes to read her information but her information is always so deep um, I have found that for whatever reason, when, when we start, and this is really funny because Sharon had this dream shortly after we got married, we just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary. Oh, that, congrats. Um, yeah. Yeah. We, we had a great day. We, uh, stayed at home uh, and watched, uh, kaiju movies. So, that
1: um, is all, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: it's, it's, it's nothing like, it's it's, like it has to be like a cruise. I'm like, no, just enjoy the moment. Yeah. Yeah. it's uh, it's one, it's wonderful when you're married and and you're partnered with somebody who doesn't um, see these Hallmark holidays as tests of your, you know, your love. Um, Because every day is is another opportunity to uh, express that and share that. So uh, anyway, she had this dream early on where she saw me, she said she saw me preaching to large groups of people. And I said, that's not going to happen because, you know, again, early in our marriage, and Sharon will tell you this, we had a discussion about Genesis, uh, you know, and the creation account. And at the time, I still didn't see any contradiction between Genesis 1 and God creating the, the, the universe and creating the world and Darwinian evolution. And because I've got this this debate gene inside of me, you know, I was a debate team captain in high school for two years <laughs> uh, we qualified for we qualified for the uh, state championship tournament my s- junior and senior year um there are times when I'll, I'll get into an argument i'm like the guy that monty python sketch will pay fiverr for uh you know an argument <laughs> 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 and that's not uh, really yeah. a good way to that's not really a good way to uh you know strengthen a loving relationship um yep. there are times when you just need to understand that uh, okay i could win this fight but i would lose the war it's really you know Mm-hmm. But yes. the Holy Spirit was was very gracious and patient with me as I came to understand that if you don't have an original sin, a fall from grace, then you don't need to be saved from anything. So anyway, uh, he he has kind of led me down a path where I, I've learned a lot to catch up to where Sharon is. And she's still well ahead of me when it comes to prophecy and so forth, but he knew what uh, we were doing. and 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 lo and behold, this dream that she had of me preaching in front of people, it it has happened. So um here we are. We love to learn, we love to read, we love to just uh find things in the word and especially um using the work of our, our friend Dr. Michael Heiser who just recently passed. Yeah uh, just a week a ago Tuesday. That. I saw uh, yeah I read about that. His his work is so foundational. Uh, the Unseen Realm, if your viewers, listeners, have not read The Unseen Realm, you really should. That's a
1: great book. That's and then a great follow book.
2: that with his book, Reversing Hermon, because suddenly that makes the whole supernatural war that we're in the middle of make sense. And all we've done for the last seven years, really, is just take that those foundational principles of trying to read and understand the Bible with the worldview of the prophets and the apostles and apply it. And when you do that, you things start jumping out at you. When you understand the history that the prophets and the apostles would have known, when you understand the uh, the religious worldview of the pagans who lived around ancient Israel, which the prophets and the apostles knew, things in the Bible that just seem really weird and random make sense. As like mm-hmm. Mike used to say, if it's in the Bible and it's weird, it's important. Don't skip yes. over it because you mm-hmm. don't understand it. Do some digging. Find out why it's in there. Why did God part the Red Sea? There was a specific reason for it, and not just parting the Red Sea, but doing it specifically where he did it. Um, Why did God send a plague to strike 24,000 Israelites when they were on the plains of Moab, worshiping Baal or Baal Peor? Uh, There are reasons for these things, but you have to do a little digging to find out what the prophets and the apostles knew. And so that's that's what we do, and that's what we're trying to just convey, because a lot of scholars Biblical scholars and historians, archaeologists, they know a lot of this stuff. It just doesn't get from this little closed room where all the academics meet and, you know, have their secret handshakes to us in the pews. Yeah.
0: Like this Smithsonian,
2: Right. Well, I think they may have a different yeah, motive in mind. but But I think a lot of people who get into academia, kind of get into their, their circle. And and this is true in in any trade, you know, when I was selling steel, I'd hang out with other steel salesmen or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we would talk shop and you'd have acronyms and, and, uh, you know, euphemisms or whatever that only made sense to other people in the business and academics kind of do the same thing. What Mike did and what we're trying to continue doing and other friends of ours, like, uh, Judd Burton, Doug Van Dorn, Aaron Judkins, Brian Gadawa, others are, are trying to take that concept and just carry that, carry that legacy forward. There's a lot of stuff that's available. You know, we're not inventing a new way of reading the Bible. It's not new information in a lot of cases. It's just information that this, to this point has been cloistered with the academics.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I agree on that. And, uh, I seen you and Sharon, you guys came to Middle Tennessee to global fire. Uh, I, I was actually listening to your, um, to skywatch. I think it was like two years ago. You guys came
3: mm-hmm. and,
1: um, yeah, a couple guys from my church were talking about it, and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go check this out over at Global Fire. And that was when I like, I listened to you, and you totally blew my mind. And then when Sharon came on and talked a little bit, dude, she knows eschatology at end times. Like, it just it blew my mind. It just totally blew my mind.
2: That was, was one of the places where people just kind of went, which <gasps> when she was talking about the 23rd <laughs> Psalm. Ah. (laughs) And the the valley of the shadow of death and those those dolmens, those megalithic sites, those megalithic structures that are all over in ancient Israel. And that's one of the reasons we're going early to Israel in just uh, about a week and a half. Because there's an area north of the Sea of Galilee, which was part of the ancient kingdom of Bashan, that's just covered with those. We think now that is where the valley of the shadow of death is located. It's not a metaphor. Jesus wasn't just speaking picturesque language or rather, David, who wrote Psalm 23. Isaiah makes reference to the region and the shadow of death. And Matthew said that when Jesus moved to that region, Capernaum, which is on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, it was to fulfill what Isaiah wrote. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. Those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. Again, this is one of those things that people living in that area knew that there's like 5,000 of these dolmens that look like tables. Yeah. In fact, that's what the word means in Britannic. It's a Celtic language. Dolmen means table. Two big slabs of limestone like this, and then one across the top. And so when David writes, "You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies," mm-hmm. and she she mentioned wow. that during that that uh, talk there at uh, in Murfreesboro, like yeah. three hundred people in the room just went, oh. "I was like, yeah, that's my wife." <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I can do yeah, one was, of those on here. Yeah, it, it was good stuff, man. Yeah, <laughs> totally blew my mind on that. And uh...
0: are you ready to level up your podcast game? Introducing Superpass, the ultimate all-in-one platform made by podcasters for podcasters. Imagine having access to a sleek website builder, the most powerful content app maker on the market, engaging courses, a thriving community, Patreon, and and exclusive membership perks, all in one place. With a Netflix-inspired layout that's both professional and creative, Superpass is the perfect place to grow your audience and take your podcast to the next level. Don't miss out. Join the Superpass revolution today. Check out superpass.com and get a two-week free trial. Link in the show notes.
1: Yeah, the whole time I was just like, it was just like reload, reload, reload. like, And then, yeah, I, I ran out of so much gigabytes and storage on my phone. <laughs> just trying to record everything and i came back and i'm like trying to read i'm like oh my gosh there's so much information and it's it's, it, it's yeah it's 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 so good brother
2: so that good. was a wonderful weekend we really enjoyed it really enjoyed it and and again you know since even since then and the reason we're, we're going back early is because we're going back specifically to that region north of the sea of galilee um, yeah before the uh, program, we were talking a little bit about uh, some of the megalithic sites there. You've got all those dolmens that are up there. Uh, there's a valley. The Jordan River runs through a valley between Mount Hermon and the Sea of Galilee. It actually drops down into a valley just south of uh, the ancient city of Dan and uh, another city called Avel Beth Ma'akah, which is mentioned in uh, 2 Samuel. Mm-hmm. David chased a, a rebel who was trying to overthrow him back to that city. This uh, valley is called the Hula Valley, H-U-L-E-H. Sometimes Hula, but anyway, it it's a a, a kind of a, a nature reserve now. Uh, but in ancient times, it was a, it was a marsh because you know it was kind of a low area. The Jordan River moved through it very slowly. Uh, the Israelis drained it about seventy years ago. But it is surrounded by dolmens. Uh, archaeologists who've been working in the Golan Heights since they took it away from Syria back in 1967. There's like 5,500 dolmens all around that uh, that valley, again just north of the Sea of Galilee, where the ancient city of Chorazin was located, up to about Avel Beth Ma'akah, which is just uh, which is very close to the ancient city of Dan. Um, that region is just ringed with dolmens. Yeah. And the northeast corner there's a there's a kibbutz called Shamir, where there's like 400 dolmens clustered together, and in the middle of this is a dolmen. That's got a capstone, that's that tabletop stone, that weighs like 50 tons. Oh, man.
1: Yeah. Now, Jeez.
2: that's like two fully loaded 18-wheel flatbed tractor trailers, plus another 20-foot box truck fully loaded You know, on top of it. And they moved this stone on top of this, this dolman.
1: Yeah, it makes you think, how do they do
2: that? Well, that's a really good hmm. question. And when <laughs> uh... did they do it? Hey, now yeah. it's it's probably the, probably a Bronze Age, according to the archaeologists, which means sometime between, say, 3,300 BC down to about 1,400 1,200 BC. That's the that's the Bronze Age, in uh, in ancient Israel. When exactly they don't know because tomb robbers over the last five thousand years has basically raided and robbed out all of those dolmens. Um, they, prob- they figured this was probably sometime in the third millennium BC. So between 3000 and 2000 BC, somewhere in there. But the bigger question is, why would they do that? Why would you expend the the energy, the manpower to build these things? Now, there are a lot of smaller ones in the immediate area. This one appears to, uh, they, they did actually find some human remains in there, two adults and, and a child, I think, if I remember the story correctly. Mm. They've, only, they've only excavated it within the last 10 years. Um, and it's one of the few dolmens where they've actually found any kind of Markings on the inside. Um, there's a. It, it looks like the Indiana University logo, like a like a U with an I. You know, it looks like the, <laughs> the Phi in or the Psi, the Psi. <laughs> yeah, and Sharon noticed that because she's an IU grad. Mm. But uh, why did they do it? I mean, this really blew archaeologists away because this was a period in time where the the people living in that area were supposed to be um, pastoralists. They were they were nomads. You know, shepherds and goat herds, and they would, uh, you know, kind of move around with their flocks. And yet, you've got this area where you've got these 400 dolmens, including this massive one with a 50 ton capstone on it, which means you had somebody who was organizing the work crews. Yeah. And somebody who was then providing food and drink for the work crews, because obviously they're not out farming if they're moving all these stones into place. And then possibly defending them against rival groups who might want to take away the goats and the sheep. Who knows? So it's a more complicated civilization than scholars thought, even though they didn't leave any inscriptions in writing that, uh, that have been found. Um, why do it? And why there where Mount Hermon is plainly visible on the Northern horizon? You look north of there, about 20 miles or so, and you can see Mount Hermon plain as day. So why? Why are all these, do- why do you have 5,000 dolmens in the ancient kingdom of Bashan?
1: Now, quick, uh, quick, quick hmm. note. Um, could you, could you explain uh, for the audience that's going to be listening, what dolmens are?
2: Dolmens were these megalithic structures that were built usually from slabs of uh, available stone, basalt or limestone, wherever you know whatever was available at hand. Um, again, the word is based on a Celtic or Bretonic word that means table, because they're found all over the world, and the guys who yeah. named them uh, 19th century. Uh, British soldiers said, oh, yeah, these are like the ones we saw over in Ireland. So, uh, you know, so they used a Britannic word dolmen and it stuck. Usually the ones that are most familiar are are the ones with two big slabs as uh, the sides. And then you've got a tabletop across the top. Sometimes they've got uh, slabs on the ends. Uh, Some of them in Jordan have a slab on the end with like a removable panel that, you know, it's like a little window. You know, it looks almost like a little cottage. Mm. Yeah, yeah. and the uh, the age of these things, according to archaeologists, ranges from uh, the beginning of the Bronze Age, about 3,300 BC, down to about 1,800 BC, which is about the time of Abraham. And uh, it looks like the older wow. ones are further south, near the uh, uh, near the Dead Sea. But they're concentrated mainly in the Jordan Valley and on the Golan Heights. The Golan Heights alone, which again is mainly the uh, Uh, the the ancient kingdom of Og of Bashan. That is Bashan. Um, It's about 5,500 dolmens there, but there's about 25,000 of them all together between the Golan Heights and um, the Dead Sea. And most of them concentrate in the the Jordan Valley. You find them all over the world. They've they've got them in the Caucasus Mountains. You find them in Korea. You find them in in Ireland and Scotland. And there are some reports that people here in the United States have found them, Kentucky, Montana, but... uh, the highest concentration, and certainly you've got them in uh, in Europe, uh, Spain, France, uh, uh, in Scandinavian countries, but most of them, the highest concentration is in Israel. And again, <laughs> the question is, why? Because the people who build them didn't leave any inscriptions, you know, in <laughs> memory of Og, you know, and nothing like that. And most of them don't have any human remains inside. Partly, it, it could be that they've been robbed out. It could be that they just weren't used for burials, although that big one there at the Shemir Kibbutz did have some human remains. Um, Dr. Stephen Collins, who's leading a team, even as we're recording this right now in March of 2023, leading a team digging at a site in Jordan called Tal El Hamam. This is about eight miles northeast of the Dead Sea. It's on a little hill that kind of sticks out into the valley, Uh, would have been the plains of Moab back in the day. It's directly across the river from Jericho. You can see it from Mount Nebo, there were about five, about 1500 dolmens at the base of this, uh, of this hill. It's, uh, it's called a tall in Arabic, which is basically a hill that's built up as uh, civilization occupies the site. And, um, uh, you know, when you're building with, with stone or mud brick, it doesn't last forever. So when things need to be rebuilt, they just kind of level out the site, put in some fill and then they build on top of it. And so you keep getting a, a hill that gets taller and taller, tall and as, taller. as people occupy yeah. the site. Yeah. Well, this, this location was occupied continuously from about 4,000 BC down to its destruction around 1700 BC, where it was destroyed by an airburst, it appears, something Mm. in the sky that exploded over the north end of the Dead Sea and completely flattened this site. Now, bear in mind, it's like 75 feet above the valley. Yeah. And then the citadel, which is the, the high point where the king's palace would have been located is another 75 feet above that, Um, 1,500 dolmens around the base of this site. Now, they estimate that it was destroyed around 1,700 BC, give or take 50 years. That's right in the wheelhouse of Abraham and Lot. If you assume assume that the Israelites were only in Egypt for about 215 years, and that the 400 years that uh, the Bible tells us includes the time when abraham arrived in canaan which was under the control of egypt at that time Uh, so this is the right place it's got the right evidence and it's um you know to to be ancient sodom they've been digging there now since um 2005. so this is their 16th season they had to put it on hold for a couple of seasons because of covid but uh They're back there right now for their final dig season, although some of the guys involved in the dig are trying to convince the Jordanian authorities to let them continue. Um, In the book that Dr. Collins wrote a few years ago, uh, I think we got a copy of it in 2015, just after we arrived at Skywatch TV, uh, the book called Finding Sodom, I was kind of scanning through it, and like just in passing in the early chapter, he said, yeah, there are more dolmens clustered at the base of the tall than anywhere else in the Jordan Valley. And then he just keeps going. He's like, <laughs> yeah. wait, 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 what? <laughs> because this Be well. is the location that 400 years later or 215 years later, depending on how you do your math. Uh, anyway, in 1446 BC or 1406, when you know the Israelites got there and they were camping in the plains of Moab, uh, they were at you know basically right there. Yeah. The stations of the Exodus, the last couple stations of the Exodus before they camped in the plains of Moab, one site was called Ovoth, which means literally spirits of the dead. And the other is Aiha Avarim, which means ruins of the travelers or wow. heaps of the travelers. Hmm. So, okay, why is that relevant? The word traveler, or at least the word that we translate into English as traveler, can also essentially mean one who... Crosses over, or those on the other side. It was a word that, in the uh, the Canaanite language from Ugarit, during the time of the Judges, was literally applied to the to the spirits of the Rephaim. Yep. Okay. The demonic spirits of the giants destroyed in the flood. Now the that's Canaanites, what, yeah. yeah, the Canaanites didn't think that that's what they were. They they thought that they were the the ancestral spirits of their kings, the mighty men who were of old. You know, all who were kings according to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 14. But the Israelites get to this area, the vicinity of Mount Nebo. And again, when you're standing on Mount Nebo, which we'll be doing in, in like three weeks, you look towards Jericho. You got the plains of Moab down there. The Dead Sea is off to your left at about two o'clock at about, or the, at 10 o'clock. At two o'clock, you got this hill that's sticking out into the valley, which was the site of ancient Sodom. So somewhere in here, you've got these sites one named Spirits of the Dead and another named Ruins of the Travelers. We think that refers to the dolmens at the base of this ruined city up on the hill. So when Moses and, and the Israelites got there, it was called Shittim, which means acacias, or yeah. Avel Shittim, which means acacias of mourning or weeping. There are some scholars who think that Shatim was not down in the valley, the plains of Moab, but it was actually on that hill at Tal el Hamam. A scholar by the name of Nelson Glick, who's a famed Israeli archeologist from the 1930s and 40s, he wrote this back in the 40s, that Shatim was probably Tal el Hamam. Now, bear in mind, that's like 60 years before the team under Dr. Stephen Collins started excavating it and found the evidence that, hey, there's a city here that got absolutely destroyed by a oh. superheated air blast. So now think about this. I
1: think not.
2: <laughs> I know, so, so think about this. Moses and the Israelites get there. They find this place they call ruins of the travelers, meaning ruins of the spirits of the Rephaim, these dolmens clustered at the base of the city. They camp up on the hill and according to the team, because we talked to several of the archeologists now who work there, uh, that's where the sacred precinct was on the lower tall the upper tall was where the king lived the lower tall was this had this sacred precinct the temple and they think that's where moses and the israelites camped. they may have had the tabernacle right over what was the temple of baal peor and we showed oh i love it
3: i love it that's just but the
2: thing is the thing is that's when the israelites started worshiping Baal Peor. The Bible tells us they yoked uh, themselves to the Baal of Peor. The young Israelite prince w- took a Midianite princess, and then mm-hmm. the sight of Moses and all Israel, they were doing something that, uh, in the context of Numbers chapter twenty-one, looks like a fertility rite. If you catch my drift, because yes. Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, took a spear and he stabbed them through. Now there are only a couple of physical positions they could have been in for yeah. Phineas to get them both with one spear thrust at yeah, the same time. Mm. Yeah. So we're thinking, oh, well, that's that's shocking. That's awful. They're naughty, doing this here, <laughs> possibly in the tent of meeting right there in the site of all Israel, which may have been right on the site of this destroyed temple of Baal Peor. And we showed, Sharon and I showed in our book, uh, Veneration, uh, scholars yeah. are aware that that word Peor means opening or 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 gap, which in the context means opening to the netherworld, because again, they're living in an area now, they're camping in an area named Spirits of the Dead, Ruins of the Travelers, or Ruins of the, the Rephaim, mm-hmm. and now they're worshiping the Lord of the opening to what? The opening to hell, the opening to the netherworld. Yeah, it's like a and Psalm 106 confirms it, Psalm 106, verse 28, God got angry at them because they ate sacrifices, they, they yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to the dead that's why god got angry with him and it's right there at sodom and again you've got all of these dolmens at the base of the city and so dr collins back in 2015 2014 when he's writing the book just mentions it in passing oh yeah here's some dolmens here there were more of them here than anywhere else in the jordan valley we're like wait what (laughs) back up back up rewind yeah (laughs) so when they announced back in 2021 that they were going to have an international symposium on archaeology and the bible at Trinity Southwest University down in Albuquerque. Sharon and I were like sign us up. Yeah. We're going. And so we went and uh, this past year 2022 they did it again and we had the opportunity to interview Dr. Collins which I just put on my podcast a few weeks ago. Um and we talked about the dolmens. What was that about? Well, they actually found a dolmen that hadn't been robbed out. One of the very, very few of the twenty-five thousand in the, you know, in the Jordan Valley that had not been robbed out because it was kind of hidden on a hillside, on the hill leading up to the, the site of ancient Sodom. Yeah. And they, so they said it appears that it was not used as a burial uh, chamber, but they would put offerings inside. Okay. And here's the thing: because that city had been continuously occupied. For like 2,300 years. I mean, think about that. This was the the city occupied the same number of years as between Alexander the Great and us having this conversation.
1: Yeah.
2: That's that's how long that city was occupied. And they think, based on the the potsherds that they found inside this dolmen that had been offered as like offerings to the dead, he thinks that it was this dolmen was used for that entire period. So again this cult of the dead was was a huge deal in ancient Israel and the pagans around the Israelites were worshipping what they thought were the spirits of their ancestors. And in the case of the Rephaim, the travelers it was uh, really important because they were considered to be more powerful spirits in the afterlife than, you know, dead grandpa this drew the Israelites in. You see that in, in Isaiah chapter 57, Isaiah chapter 63, where he's, you know, condemning people for um, practicing their rites among uh, among the oaks or among the trees or among the uh, uh, the the uh, what's the other word? Terabins. Um yeah. Isaiah 63, eating forbidden food uh, among the tombs. Those were parts of the rituals performed by the ancient pagans around. Israel as part of their, their cult of the dead. And so when you see it with those eyes and you understand that this was the, the religion of the, uh, the pagans who surrounded ancient Israel, you start seeing those weird sections in Isaiah, he's ranting about, you know, these, these forbidden foods and, uh, uh, and these secret rites amongst the oaks, the rituals, you know, burying people in among the wadi, you know, uh, the, the, Dry riverbeds where sometimes they they would have the tombs of the dead because there were a lot of caves in those uh, those limestone uh, the, the the limestone terrain with those wadis. Um, you begin to understand what was going on here. Um, it's just number one, we don't have the worldview of the prophets and the apostles. And number two, um, a lot of the references are kind of concealed because of our English translations. The word Rephaim, for example has been translated out of the Bible, except for the references to the Rephaim tribes in the books of Deuteronomy and uh, Joshua, Genesis, Deuteronomy and Joshua. But when you get to uh, places like, uh, there are references to the Rephaim and Isaiah, uh, in, in uh, the Proverbs and uh, and elsewhere that have been translated out, You know, it's translated uh, the shades, uh, Job makes a reference to them, uh, the shades, the dead, the departed, and these are not run-of-the-mill dead. These are the spirits of the giants destroyed in the flood. And yeah. Again, is all we're trying to do is just say, "Hey, look, you know this stuff is important. The prophets and the apostles knew it. We're just trying to go back going we're just trying to go back to understanding the Bible the way they did.
1: Yes, exactly. And to me, that's if you want to know something, go back to the source. you know um, just man.
2: Yeah. And it means it means having to dig a little bit into the uh, the original language. I mean, there there are a lot of people who look at this who really just don't want their paradigm shifted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because it's most, uncomfortable. It, it's it's weird. It's weird. You're telling me that angels actually had sex with human women and created giants. Come on, that sounds like science fiction. Well, well okay, no, it but, talks
1: about it in the Bible. Like like I said, like you never know. You could be entertaining an angel. And, right. You know, and but, um, I'll, yeah,
2: Go ahead. The, But but the skeptics will will find ways to get around it. I mean, since the time <laughs> of Augustine, 1600 years ago, since the time of Augustine, yeah. the the dominant view among Christian theologians is that the sons of God in Genesis chapter six are the righteous sons of Seth, who commingled with the evil daughters of Cain, and somehow this produced a monstrous race of. Children. Now that logically, that makes no sense. It also ignores the fact that the Hebrew phrase B'nai ha Elohim" means supernatural beings. Yeah. The the, the cognate phrase in 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 similar languages in the ancient world means supernatural beings. It does not mean human men.
1: Yeah, I forgot. Man, I forgot what it was. But I don't know if it was you or someone else. I was listening to this podcast, but you're saying that if you. If you talk to basically kind of like a standard American Christian, right, you ask him,
0: If you're looking for one-of-a-kind art that is sure to make you stand out from the crowd, then look no further than Drew's Tags. Drewski has created a world of custom art that will take you on a wild ride through sports, space, travel, military, cryptids, and beyond. Whether you're a fan of Bigfoot, a reptilian, conspiracy theorist, or just someone who appreciates a good pun, Drewski has something for everyone. So why settle for a boring old print when you can have a custom creation that is as unique as you are? Reach out to Jurski today and get started on your one-of-a-kind masterpiece. Check out his Instagram link in the show notes.
1: When was the fall? Everyone would actually say, oh, in the Garden of Eden. But to, but to like Jewish people and Hebrews and stuff like that, they'll say two things. The fall and also... Um, of course,, uh, when Satan fell, but also too, um when the fallen angels came down and mated with women and totally just tried to destroy the whole DNA structure.
2: Yeah, you know, Mike just, he- that was actually a Mike Heiser. Mike uh, Heiser, yes. So your credit yeah. where it's due. and and also the third one is at the Tower of Babel.
1: Yes, the Tower of Babel, that's right.
2: So there were three there were three incidents, the Tower of Babel, where God divided the nations afterward, according to the number of the sons of. God, you know, a lot of English translations say number of sons of Israel, but the, uh, the oldest yeah, was
1: it? available was text it? Uh, in Deuteronomy. Also Psalms 84.
2: Uh, Psalms eight, what was it, 84. Psalm 82. Psalms 82. Ma- yes. Right. Yes. Which makes reference to the sons of God. And uh, yeah. though you are gods, all of you sons of the most high, like men, you shall die yeah. and fall like any prince. So yeah, there, there are a lot of weird sections in the Bible that people who don't want to adopt that worldview have to yeah. try to explain away. And, uh, yeah. uh, you know, again, you, you can you can be saved and not understand those things the way the prophets and the apostles understood it. But it seems to me that if you do understand those things, you see that the mission of Jesus was far more than we've been taught. Oh, he's I agree. Just, I he's not just oh, saving I, I, us from from ourselves because... We've got these, uh, you know, impure desires within us that we need to be saved from. He's literally saving us from these evil intelligences who want to destroy us and everything that we love.
1: Yeah, well, that's what he says, too, like in Ephesians, you know, you're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rules of the air. And uh, and with people like a lot of they think this stuff's like taboo or they just skip over it. But, you know, it's it's way bigger than that.
2: It's 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 clear in Scripture that, uh, you know, a lot of the the. Objections raised by those who don't want to accept the Genesis six worldview—they um, can't commingle with humans because—and yep. then they'll go to the uh, proof text in uh, in Matthew uh, where it says that um, uh, y- y- you are um, the angels in heaven neither marry nor given marriage. Jesus is basically saying in the resurrection you are like the angels in heaven who neither marry nor give in marriage. So it doesn't say that angels can't have physical intercourse with humans. It says that in heaven, they don't. But the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 were in heaven, which is why Jude said they, they left their first estate. They left their proper dwelling. And we see multiple examples of angels physically interacting with humans elsewhere. I mean, Abraham serves... Angels a meal. One of them was the angel of Yahweh, so it was you know God in a form that Abraham could perceive. Um, mm-hmm. Angels busted uh, you know Peter and uh, Paul out of prison. Uh, the angels who yeah. uh, rescued Lot uh, had a little physical confrontation with the the citizens of Sodom. So it's not like they can't. And especially when you look at the Bible, the Bible says specifically that they did. It's the people who want to. Uh, reject this worldview, say, well, it doesn't, except for Genesis six, which doesn't even say what it, well, no, it does say that. Well, somewhere else, look, I'm sorry. If you're going to start throwing out scripture and denying scripture as evidence to make your case, you're really on a slippery slope. What else don't you want to accept in the Bible? Because it makes you feel (laughs) oogie? Picking and choosing. Yeah. 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 You can't do that. Take, take it for what it's worth. It is what it is. It's not a buffet. Yeah.
1: (laughs) That's a fact. Oh, man. And also too, it just, you know, like example where it says, you know, it's during the end times revelation, it's gonna be just like the days of Noah. And to me, that's gonna be like the great fall and the great deception is and that's what's gonna with people if they're just if they're going about Christianity or the relationship with God just tiptoeing, it's gonna blow a lot of people's minds when when things really hit the fan, you know what I'm saying?
3: Yeah.
2: No, we're we're dealing with literal entities who want to harm us. I mean yeah. again, you look at the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, in verse 8 where it says when God divided the nations which was right after Babel, he numbered them according to the number of sons of God. The uh, tradition is that there are 70 sons of God were placed over the nations and not coincidentally when you go back to the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10, there are 70 descendants of Noah listed there. Mm-hmm. Now, the number 70 in the ancient world, in the ancient Near East, So that this would be like, if you're looking at a map today, the ancient Near East is basically Israel, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, southern Turkey, you know, Iraq, northern Saudi Arabia. That's the ancient Near East uh, in a nutshell. Northern Egypt, that's that's all part of the ancient Near East. The number 70 didn't mean seven times 10. You know, it was not a literal number. It was a symbol that meant all of them. Every last one, not one of them left out. So what Deuteronomy 32 means, then 32 verse eight. that so when God divided the nations, he essentially said, okay, look, Babel was an artificial mountain that was constructed to bring the gods into contact with humanity. And so God said, all right, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you what you want, but it's not a reward. This is a punishment. Yes. So he confused the languages and he delegated authority for overseeing humanity to these lesser Elohim, we can call them angels, that's kind of an imprecise word, but uh, uh, these sons of God, these B'nei ha Elohim, who knowing the end from the beginning, God surely knew that they were going to uh, rebel. They would be tempted into setting themselves up as deities in their own right. He knew this was gonna happen. It was a test and a trap. That's a phrase that Sharon uses in her uh, supernatural fiction series a test (laughs) and a trap. God knew they would be tested and they would be entrapped by it. Yeah. So these entities um, are the ones that God addresses in Psalm 82 when he takes his place in the midst of the divine council and says, you've ruled unjustly. And so because of this, though you are gods, all of you, sons of the most high, like men you shall die and fall like any prince. This is like when the Israelites complained To the prophet Samuel, we want a king to be like all the other nations. And God said to Samuel, okay, give them what they want. I'll give them Saul, but they're not going to like it. The same thing (laughs) happened earlier at Babel, probably 2,000 years earlier, roughly. Uh, Okay, I will give you gods, but you're not going to like it. And that's why the world is in the state that it's in today. Uh,
3: Genesis 3,
2: (laughs) Genesis 6, Genesis 10. That's, or Genesis 11, rather, that's uh, that's what you got. And that's why we're dealing with those lesser Elohim to this day. God pronounced judgment in Psalm 82, but we're still waiting for it to be carried out. Yeah, yeah.
1: And uh, to me, like, that's where you get all these, like, different religions where it comes to, you know,
2: like with, the, with Buddha,
1: Muslims, all these things. And these entities are just, they based, they're basically just trying to take validation and trying to disturb the minds and everything, try to pull away from
3: Jesus Christ and God.
2: That's yeah, like, that's all it is. Yeah, it's really, <laughs> um, really interesting. As I mentioned before the program, Sharon and I are working on a, a, a book called the, the, uh, the Gates of Hell, which we hope to have out later this year. Um, we watched a series on the, the Investigation Discovery Channel, which is really disturbing. It's called The uh, Signs of a Psychopath. There's like four seasons of it where yeah. they take interrogation room interviews with people who have confessed to or been found guilty of really horrific crimes, usually multiple murders. These are these are literal psychopaths, people yeah. with no empathy. And then they bring in forensic psychologists to explain their behavior. And looking at this program from the Christian worldview, it's really educational because what you're hearing in these interviews, in our view, is you are hearing the demons responding to the questions of the detectives and the investigators. Oh, man. And the psychologists are trying to explain it. It's like, well, there's something wrong with their frontal cortex, and they have what they call a shallow affect, meaning they don't have the range of emotions that normal humans do. So when you're asking them, why did you you know, shoot your father in the face with a shotgun? Uh, did you feel bad about it? No. Like, okay, that's not normal human behavior. But if you are the spirit of an entity who was destroyed in a flood, say eight or 9,000 years ago, maybe longer, whatever the flood was, and you're basically occupying your time on this earth, getting revenge on the children of Adam and Eve. Yeah, okay, that that starts to make a little more sense. The behavior begins to make a little more sense too. The way psychopaths will manipulate people to get what they want. They don't see other humans as people. They see them as things to be manipulated to get what they want. And again, that's so abnormal. I mean, it's fascinating to watch. It's disturbing to watch. But if you're Mm -hmm. watching it from a Christian perspective and saying, you know, at least some of these people, there's gotta be a demon in there and that's what's talking. And that's the only thing that makes sense of the answers that we're hearing in this program. It's really... Instructive, and again, it just gives you an idea of the nature of the enemy that we're dealing with here. Yeah, Yeah. totally on that. Spiritual spiritual warfare is a little more intense than just resisting that second bowl of ice cream.
0: Yeah, (laughs) or getting like you don't get enough likes on Facebook or something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know. Well, and and, and, uh... then. Sorry, I had a brain fart. I totally forgot what I was going to bring up.
1: Well, Derek, it kind of. Sorry just. No, you're good. It, it reminds me because um, back in Colorado when I was actually in law enforcement, we had to deal with um, a lot of crazies out there. And this one guy, he was in uh, he was in for rape and all this stuff and murder. But um, we had to we actually had to go do our thing and arrest this guy. We had to put him in a spit mask, double cuffed, and all that. And it took literally eight officers just to hold this guy down and to put him in. But at, it, this is crazy, and I knew this was different. I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, you know what? I need you to just start praying right now. So I'm praying in my head, like, Lord, please, Lord, just give us the strength to deal with this guy. Keep everybody safe. He literally turned to me and he says, stop freaking praying. And hmm. that's when I kicked it in the gear in a 100 and just kept going. And you're absolutely, you're, Derek, you're absolutely right. You're like, these entities are in these people and they're having them doing horrific things, man. And to me, it's with these people that are being used, It's it's sad. And it's very disturbing.
2: Yeah. Here's the thing that, that kind of blew me away. And again, I'll give Mike Heiser credit. Sharon and I never do a Bible study on Sunday morning without, uh, you know, making mention of Mike Heiser, it seems, at least twice. Yeah. I was listening to his Naked Bible podcast as he was going that's a, through. That's a good one. Oh, yeah. It, it is it is fantastic. As it was going through the book of Ezekiel and he got to Ezekiel chapter 39 and he mentions in uh, Ezekiel 39:11 there's kind of an odd verse there that um, usually is explained as a, a reference to the, the slaughter that'll take place. This is about the war of Gog and Magog. Ezekiel thirty nine eleven, and God is telling Ezekiel what's gonna happen at the end of the war of Gog and Magog. On that day, I will give to Gog a place for burial in Israel, the valley of the travelers mm. east of the sea. It will block the travelers For there Gog and all his multitude will be buried. It will be called the Valley of Haman Gog, which means uh, the the Valley of the Multitude of Gog. But then he just mentioned in passing, and this is where I I picked up on this connection between the the travelers and the Rephaim. Mike said, well, you know, there's a reference, there's a mention, or or rather an entry for the travelers in the Dictionary of Deities and Demons in the Bible, which is a reference material that Sharon and I use a lot. Yeah. Every supernatural entity mentioned by any culture anywhere near ancient Israel during the biblical period is in there. So you want to look up the Greek gods, they're all in there. You want to look up the Egyptian gods, most of them are in there. The Canaanite gods, they're all in there. And then suddenly there's this reference for the travelers. Like wait, what? Because most of the most of the Bible teachers who are Analyzing the war of Gog and Magog. And, you know, Ezekiel 38 and 39, that's like, you know, that's like one of the main things that Bible prophecy teachers have been trying to figure out since the beginning, well, since Ezekiel's day. So we're talking almost 2,600 years now. What does this mean? Who is Gog? What does this mean? But when you understand that the Canaanites around ancient Israel had venerated Mm -hmm. the travelers, the Avarim, For centuries by the time of Ezekiel, that Moses and the Israelites camped at a place within sight of Mount Nebo called Mm. Ruins of the Travelers. And that in fact, when God told Moses to climb the mountain from which he got his only look at the promised land, Mount Nebo, Mm. he told Moses, climb this mountain of Avarim, climb this mountain of the Travelers. So what does this mean in Ezekiel 39, then? It will block the travelers. Who are the travelers? What are they doing in the War of Gog and Magog? I think, and this is what Sharon and I have uh, been referring to periodically when we get to this on our Unraveling Revelation program each week, that the travelers are the demons making up that army of 200 million that come from the east. Yeah. That cross the Euphrates when the Euphrates dries up. Now I know a lot of Bible teachers will look at that and say, "No, 200 million—that's got to be China. That's the only nation in the world." Okay, except <laughs> except that the Indians have now now have more people than the Chinese do. Mm. Okay, China's got the world's largest army, but their army is two million, not 200 million, two <clears throat> million. Whew. Now you've got something that, uh, and I'm going come, come back to the travelers here, because I think this is really fascinating, but just uh, this, this point really quick, to debunk the idea that China is the army from the east, the kings of the east are not Chinese. We think this is a supernatural enemy. Yeah. There's something that, uh, I don't know if either of you guys served, I did not, so I had to look this up and ask guys who know. I, I did not volunteer, and I'm grateful for those who did, so that I didn't have to. But there's something that uh, military guys call the Tooth to tail or tail to tooth ratio, and I I forget what the uh which one goes first. Anyway, the tooth is like that's that's the fighting force. Those are the guys on the front lines. The Mm -hmm. tail, those are the support staff. Okay, the guys who fly supplies, who drive the trucks, who, the cooks, the medics, et cetera, you know, the communications guys, the guys who make it possible for the guys in the field, the guys on the front lines to actually fight. Yeah. And the ratio of support staff to soldier can be anywhere from six to one to 12 to one. It it varies from war to war, from army to army, six to one to 12. So if you've got an army of 200 million, say if you go with the low end ratio, six to one, that means you're gonna need about 1.2 billion support staff to support your army of 200 million. Now China, again, right now has got a a total population, including infants and elderly of 1.4 billion, but it is shrinking. The United Nations expects China's population to drop below 800 million by the end of this century. And there are some who think it may fall to as low as 400 million by the end of the century. Yeah. There is no way China fields an army of 200 million. Mm -hmm. Now, were there 200 million demons in the world or 200 million Nephilim in the world at the time of Noah's flood? Don't know. Honestly, do not know. Yeah. But... I'd say that that is more plausible than the idea that China fields an army of 200 million, besides which I think Ezekiel is not saying that there's an army that's going to be mainly um, Iran, Libya and what Ethiopia coming against. uh, Ezekiel was saying that the whole world is coming against Israel, Israel, north, south, east, west. Anyway, supernatural army. That's the travelers. When you go to Isaiah 26, you get a reference to these, these entities, and I think a prophecy of their destruction. Isaiah 26, beginning at verse 13. O Lord our God, other lords beside you, or Yahweh our God, actually, is what he wrote. Other lords beside you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. Why, why is he saying your name we bring to remembrance? That was part of that monthly ritual that the pagans around ancient Israel believed they had to perform to keep their ancestors alive in the afterlife.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: If you didn't summon them by name to a ritual meal every month on the 30th of the month, the night of no moon, and then mm-hmm. feed them and give them a drink offering, and that's what those teraphim were for, those little household idols that uh, Jacob's wife stole from her father. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what those were used for. You'd summon the ancestors, you'd call you'd say their name. And then you'd feed them, you'd smear bread on a little statue, and then you'd pour a drink offering on the ground. Because if you didn't say their name once a month, they would fade away, they would cease to exist. You see this in uh, David's family, actually Absalom, his son who rebelled against him. Yeah, uh, 2 Samuel 18, verse 18, Samuel erected a pillar for himself in the valley of the kings, for he had no son to keep his name in remembrance. That's right. That's what that means. And this is a reference to the Rephaim. Again, these spirits that the Canaanites believed were the spirits of their ancestors who had to be kept alive through these monthly rituals where they were summoned by name and fed and given drink. Isaiah is saying, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead. They will not live. They are In English, it says they are shades, but the Hebrew is they are Rephaim. They will not, they will not arise. Get ready for some monster-sized entertainment
0: with no pesky ads. Subscribe to our Cryptid podcast for just a few coins a month and listen to all the spooky tales of the unknown creatures in commercial-free bliss. It's like having a personal Bigfoot guide without all the foot odor. So, what are you waiting for? Get your subscription now and join the hunt for the truth today. Link in the show
2: notes. They will not be resurrected. To that end, you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. And then, in verse nineteen, Isaiah writes, "Your dead shall live; their bodies shall rise." This is talking about the faithful. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light. Now, this last verse here, in verse nineteen, Isaiah twenty-six nineteen, is translated into English badly. Uh, the ESV reads. The earth will give birth to the dead. The earth will give birth to the Rephaim. Mm.
3: Um,
2: the word translated give birth is Nephal, which ironically is a word that um, the critics of the Genesis 6 paradigm say, well, that's what Nephilim, Nephilim comes from, Nephal, which means to fall. They're the fallen ones. They're just bad people. This is the only place in the Old Testament where that verb, nephal, is translated, give birth. When you do a word search for nephal in the Old Testament, everywhere else, it's to fall, fall down, has fallen, will fall, falls down. Here in this one verse, suddenly it's translated, give birth to the Rephaim. No, no, what it actually means, and this is how it's translated in the Septuagint, the land of the Rephaim will fall. (laughs) That's really what it means. So what Isaiah is saying is that the faithful in God, the faithful in Yahweh will arise, but the Rephaim are dead. They will not arise, and the land of the Rephaim will fall. That's what it means. In fact, in the Septuagint, it says the land of the ungodly will fall. And the scholars written a paper on it said that can only be a reference to the Greek Titans and Tartarus. The Titans are the watchers, the sons of God from Genesis 6. That's why I wrote the book, uh, Last Clash of the Titans, because Greek mythology overlaps Bible prophecy and the Jewish religious scholars of the centuries leading up to the birth of Jesus, they knew it. And you find it in the (laughs) the Septuagint translation. (laughs) <laughs> where You've got, you've got like uh, the Valley of Rephaim, where David fought the Philistines twice. Yeah. Valley of Rephaim is translated in the Bible, in the Septuagint now, into Greek as Valley of the Giants and Valley of the Titans. They understood. Okay. The Rephaim were the Nephilim. The sons of God were the Titans who created these Nephilim. And so that's why they translated things the way they did. Our English Bibles have missed this by translating these things out. Like, again, in Isaiah 26, uh, 19, you've got the dead, which should be Rephaim, Isaiah 26, 14, the shades, no, it's Rephaim, it's the spirits of these giants destroyed in the flood. And I think what Isaiah's prophesying here is a day comes when we are resurrected, like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, but as Ezekiel writes in Ezekiel 39, it will block the travelers. In other words, we're raised up at the last trump, and they're still dead. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. Man. Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. The Bible's so cool when you start getting these concepts that the prophets and the apostles knew. It's like, wow, and we're in the middle of this. This is like Lord of the Rings on steroids because it's real.
1: <laughs> Seriously, man. You got you got dragons, you got wars, you got giants, and oh man. Yes. This is good stuff.
0: But, uh, I'm backtracking a little bit, but I remember what I was gonna say earlier. <laughs> Um, but he was talking, uh, whenever you're we're, we're talking about a, a psychopath and stuff like that, cause I, I dated one, no joke. Uh, and <laughs> don't worry, it didn't last very long. Uh, but, but man, it, it's, it's so crazy. Cause after I, I became a Christian in June, 2009, like, man, God, of course, um, as a Christian, you know, God just radically changed my life and I started to be more observant and pay attention. And, um, I just saw like, I don't know, started looking more into um, medic certain medications and stuff and certain uh, things they block um, just for, I don't know. I, I think I had depression as a kid too. I think I think it was Zoloft I took. Um, but then after that, because it had so many side effects, um, by the time I was in high school, I'm like, I'm, I'm not taking this stuff like, or any other medications again. And then my wife, like even taking Tylenol, like I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I said this earlier today, but I'm like, I'm not anti-medication or anything, but I just don't like the way it makes me feel. And I just rather get through it. Um, <laughs> and, and, and here's like a, a quick little natural way to heal, heal like a cold apple cider vinegar. A lot of people don't know that, but I'm like, dude, I'm telling you three days, like and and my, my cold was gone. I normally have colds for like, no joke about mm-hmm. two months. Like, um, but anyway, I know tangent, you're welcome. Um, it's, it's just so crazy <laughs> how nowadays it seems, I mean, like suicide depression um and i know i know some of it is social media but man dude like th- th- they are they tend to push pills or uh recreation drugs and stuff like that and i'm like that'll right. go with your senses and and you'll also be uh what's the other word god wants you to be sober-minded um and it's just crazy like the dude who was hyped up off what was it uh, was it bath sauce i ate that other
2: dude's face in my yeah, florida yeah, yeah there, there, there have been more more cases than just that one. It's uh, yeah, oh. there, there have been a number of those. Oh, yeah. I was tracking those for a while. I had a Google News search uh, for literally for the phrase naked man covered blood. And uh, I still get <laughs> still get hits like, you know, once a month. But yeah, there was a period there where that was happening. Um, Pretty it was. Yeah, it, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, you've got things now like uh, like uh, that uh, the drug uh, Xylazine that they call Trank, where you got uh, people in Philadelphia walking around the streets, l- literally looking like zombies. I mean, number one, they're completely out of it. They're walking, they're like staring at the sky or they're staring at the, you know, they're hunched over and walking and staring at the sidewalk. Or they're just, you know, doing these repetitive motions where they, and because this is an animal tranquilizer that's not supposed to be used by humans, it actually causes <laughs> open weeping sores in the skin that necrotizing the flesh to the point where sometimes if they're not treated, it requires amputation. So you get these people who are acting like zombies, but they're looking like zombies because these sores are developing. And it's just, it's horrific. Philadelphia has been dealing with this now for a couple of years. There was a YouTube channel that I, I stumbled on and I thought, I mean, it was so... Over the top, that I literally thought it was a viral marketing campaign for a post apocalyptic horror film. Like somebody wow. else trying to capitalize on The Walking Dead or something. But no, this is the Kensington <laughs> neighborhood that I'm familiar with because I used to work in Philadelphia back in 86 and 87. Yeah. And now they're finding it. They tested street drugs in, in Philly about two years ago and they found that 90% of the drugs on the street in Philadelphia are cut with xylazine, with Trank. And now it's showing up in New York, about a quarter of the drugs in the street in New York City. It's got out to the West Coast now where you got San Francisco, which has already got problems with needles and, and human, you know, fecal matter all over. Um, it's showing up there, showing up in Los Angeles. It is horrific. It is horrific. And and these are just a couple of the drugs. I mean, then you've got the other side of this, like you're talking about uh, dealing with depression, where people are uh, experts, so-called, experts are recommending psychedelic and psychotropic drugs for uh treating depression i mean really yeah, dmt just, you you're gonna it's open it's
1: just, the she's putting a band-aid over instead of
2: going for the root cause well or making it worse by opening people up to spiritual influences
3: yep okay we'll
2: give people dmt and open them up to you know the Blowing spirit realm them. right I, I think that's where we're looking at this 200 million army. It it may be a group of demonically possessed people in the war of Gog and Magog. The army of Gog, which, by the way, is the Antichrist. You know, Gog yeah. is just the Old Testament form of the Antichrist. His army will be an army of demonically possessed humans, whether it's people who are just soulless because they've been opened up through d- drugs. Uh, the restrainer has been removed from the world at that point. Or it maybe, for all we know, could be a, a you know cl- an army of clones who are, you know, created without souls. I don't know. Um, but I, I again, I think we're dealing with a supernatural enemy there. We've got to look at the supernatural conflict. And, and I think Isaiah and Ezekiel were pointing to this when they were talking about the shades, the Rephaim, and the travelers. and uh, man, <laughs> and having this happen, the valley of the travelers east of the sea, according to scholars, pointing to that region, between Mount Nebo, the mountain of the travelers, and Jericho. Mm-hmm. Isn't it interesting? That's where Moses was buried, according yep. to Deuteronomy. Hmm. And it's also where Elijah was uh, caught up by a chariot of fire and taken up into heaven. Yep. Interesting. Mm. Very interesting.
1: It, well, Yeah, when you're talking about those psychotropic drugs and everything, it kind of reminds me of, I think it was back in the early 2000s in Russia. It was a drug called Crocodile.
2: Yep. Oh, people crap. were like
1: ejecting themselves and it looked like they were like zombies. Their skin was rotten away and yeah, it just it was a mess.
2: Well, that's what that's what's happening in Philadelphia and now it's spreading to other cities here in the US. Oh, man. Oy. it's like It's a spiritual uh, thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's not it's, it's uh, and spiritual you know.
1: warfare, hands down.
2: Right. Well, I remember
0: uh, through just just a lot of research I've done for so many years and people who I've chatted with um, who've had alien encounters and stuff um and some of those people like like one she was a galactic empress yeah you said
1: or, no, she was a galactic ambassador she ambassador something like that yes
0: yeah. um but it's like they had to be on some I, I don't think she mentioned this but um some of them they'll have to be on a certain substance um and and they'll be visited by the ones who call themselves the travelers not every time but um they'll refer to them as that and and then what's another one? Um, yeah, it's it's like something um, that I guess a witch doctor or maybe uh, like an Indian medicine doctor, I don't know if that's a, that's a witch doctor as well. But anyway, it, it's another way to, to make you high. I don't know if you drink it or if you just inhale it. Um, and yeah, like it, it's so weird, like just hearing some of the experiences.
2: What, what's what's funny, you know, and I can laugh about it now. At the time, I was really aggravated. Um, Sharon and I were on the uh the Jim Baker show um mm. about a year and a half ago. And we we're on fairly frequently. In fact, we're gonna be on again next month. Um and we've gotten to know them. You know, I will confess when we first were invited, you know, Tom Horn had become friends with the Bakers. And so we trust Tom, but all I knew about Jim Baker was what I knew when I was in the mainstream media back in Philadelphia, 86, 87. That was about the time that he was going through his very public humiliation. Um, mm. we we have since learned that some of those things that were put out in the press and reported by the press. And we should know this by now after, you know, yeah. Donald Trump, uh, back declared for president in 2015. If we haven't learned fake now news. that the mainstream media, right. Exactly. <laughs> we should, you know, it's, it's like we, we want to, okay. The, the media is fake when it's talking about Trump, but when it comes to, you know, uh, Jim Baker, a lot of people still want to believe that stuff. Um, I'm thankful that my mother doesn't know some of the things I was doing 35 years ago, much less <laughs> the whole world. So <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, um, we were on a program with Josh Peck and we were talking about um, his documentary on um, uh, it was on the UFO phenomenon. Um, and uh, we had, uh, you know, Josh and I wrote a book about this uh, back in 2017, The Day the Earth Stands Still. And in the context of talking about the abduction phenomenon and and why it's different from the UFO phenomenon, you really need to separate those things out. I mean, mysterious lights in the sky, maybe they don't have an explanation. 80% of the time they do. It's a secret government craft, misidentified uh, commercial airline or whatever. But the abduction phenomenon, the contactee phenomenon, that is something else entirely. And so Sharon, shared a story of uh, demonic oppression that uh, happened early in our marriage that uh, uh, was recorded by an atheist blogger who likes to look for things on Jim Baker's show to mock him about. And of course, now you've got this woman who's talking about this very strange and frightening encounter with a demonic entity that appeared to her like me. And, you know, I was there, I was asleep, completely oblivious to what was going on. And, um, so they took it, they edited the clip and then put it out there. It went viral. You know, Sharon was like, you know, God bless her. She's like, nah, don't care. Um, you know, James counted all joy when, you know, okay, great. But, you know, here I'm watching social media, um, turning my wife into a, a, uh, you know, the object of, of ridicule. And that was, that was hard to deal with but um people who deal with these encounters who have to deal with these entities this is exactly why they don't want to come forward yeah because reward, they're yeah. afraid of getting the kind of now you know Sharon caught it a lot worse than most of those folks will because uh, you know it was on the Jim Baker show and this yeah. prominent atheist got it and and here's the thing that made me laugh is that one of the reasons this story went viral is because Joe Rogan picked it up and (laughs) retweeted it. Okay, now Joe Rogan's got what, 1.5 million followers on Twitter or something like that? Um, But Joe Rogan has people on his program, like Graham Hancock, openly talking about doing ayahuasca. In other words, taking DMT and going into the spirit realm to see these entities. It's like, wait a minute. Now, wait a minute, Joe. If you're gonna (laughs) mock my wife for this, you know, at least bring me on the program so I can say, what the hell are you doing with DMT? You're doing the same. You're inviting these things in. Yeah, you're She doing rebuked the same. it in yeah. the name of Jesus. And so you're going to make fun of her. while well, at the same time, you're telling your millions of followers they should be doing this. Well, okay. Yeah. Now, now that I've cooled down, I can step back and say, well, okay, we can see why this happened. It's because he's not serving the one who spoke the universe into existence, who Willingly went to the cross and shed his blood to redeem Joe and all of us who accept that historic fact of the resurrection from the grip of these entities that he's openly trying to contact through DMT. Yeah. And so, you know, rather than getting angry at Joe Rogan and this, uh, you know, this happy atheist blogger at uh, <laughs> Troll. originally clipped clipped the video, pity them. Yeah, pray for him As yeah. Jesus pitied those who put him on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing, you so, know, like you said, you know, it's, it's I catch myself doing that too. It's it's hard mm-hmm. to expect non Christians to act Christian, you know, their lot, you know, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but, and it, it is funny because they, they want to tell us how we're being bad Christians, like. <laughs> Come okay. on, dude. Like you know, if
1: you're, you don't even <laughs> know. You're, just, you're not even about that life. Don't you're going to teach you know? me, teach me <laughs>
2: about a worldview that you just reject. Okay. Yeah. Well, again, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Exactly,
1: and that's the beautiful thing about your wife too. Whatever it is, what it is with that, but she knows who she is in Jesus Christ.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: You know, and so that, I that applaud was a, for that
2: that was a good lesson for me because I had to learn to develop a, a thicker skin. Cause you know,
3: being, yes.
2: being a husband, I wanted to, you know, weigh protector in. but
3: yeah.
2: you know, that way lies madness because the, uh, the internet never forgets. And so uh, there will always <laughs> be more trolls out there that I have time to address. And, uh, there's always there's
1: always going to so, be haters, brother. Always going to yep. be haters. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was funny.
0: Like <laughs> that, that reminds me like, uh, I had this one YouTube channel and it was all comedy based. And this dude was like, man, like, uh, it's not funny. <laughs> and of course, there were so many things I would have said, but I'm like, you know what? I'm just saying, hey, thanks for taking time out of your day to message me.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Nothing, like, no response. So so I won. <laughs> yeah.
1: just I don't know. It's <laughs> funny how that works, man. God, God works through you. <laughs> yeah. What What does old Charlie Sheen say? Winning?
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So, fellas, I hate to wind down, but uh, at my age, I'm getting to a point where you know, it, this right. is this is past my bedtime in the evening. You
1: so. are awesome, brother. It's all good, man. Um, I just want to say thanks for coming on, man.
2: Just yeah, taking the time to, to hang out with us. No, I appreciate you guys doing what you do because, like I said, this is what got Sharon and me started. It was motivation to dig deeper and to um, get to get to where we are. And you know, we're we're nothing. We're just a couple of nerds who God has found a way to use the weird wiring, but in our brains, but I just wish I had started younger. Yeah. You know, I wish I had started younger because it really wasn't until, um, my mid thirties where I began to ask these questions. Okay. How do I know what's right and what's wrong? Um, well, Bible seems like a good guide, but how would I know that's true? How can I be a good dad and teach my daughter what's right and wrong when I don't know? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the process, how the process began. And I'm sure that wasn't me. I'm sure there was, uh, you know, the Lord dispatched, an angel said, okay, go hit him in the side of the head with a like a spiritual two by four, <laughs> which is kind of what it took. But, um, well, again, I just think of the years that I, I wasted. So now, you know, I, I'm at a point in my life where I know I've got fewer years in front of me than i got behind me. It's not maudlin or, or morbid or anything. It's just, you know, the reality. And uh, just trying to make the most of the time that um, that we have before us. It motivates you to do weird things like start eating healthier and actually use the treadmill that you paid for. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, uh, you're you're at an age where the body's just not going to bounce back from the abuse that you gave it when you were in your 20s. So. Gotcha, man. Well, it's like that
1: saying goes, yeah. man. It's not how you start, it's
2: how you finish, Derek. And you're amen. Being, oh, good job, brother. Well, good you're good very job. kind. But, you know, anything we get right, it's, it's his. You know, amen. His exactly, credit. Man. Amen, amen.
1: But, yeah, I just want to say I appreciate you, your wife, Sharon. And you guys keep fighting the good fight,
2: man. Just keep it going. So, but, Fellas, anytime you want me to come back, just to... Shoot me a note, and we'll see if we can fit it into the schedule. Happy to do it.
0: Oh, shoot, Sharon, yeah. I'd love right. to have you and you and Sharon. That'd be really cool. Yeah,
2: well, I'm she goes to bed some... early, so we're going to have to change her
0: schedule.
1: Wanna... Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll be, yeah. We'll definitely, we'll definitely work around you guys for sure. I know that.
3: <laughs> all, right, all right, Derek. All right. Yeah, all
1: right, Derek. Um, appreciate you, brother. Love you. we praying for you. Um, yep. Get, you get away. Go. You get the go,
3: I... you go my, dog there, you my dog over there. My dog over there is knocked out, <laughs> just give me something to feel. They know the glass <laughs> right, is full so the game turned to a spill Be God bless You got you, you sure cuz when I hit you they gonna blame me when you it off the field, right? I'm already cold but I need to chill. I'm here to sharpen the skill while giving us some conversations where none of us getting killed Look, That just I D-feel. I'm buying land for the rebuild. Welcome to d fill Playing in isolation finding my way in this type of nation delaying gratification by sowing my seeds now and understanding the patience uh, the book is already written stop skipping pages forgive me the mind is racing if you take away the things you think you needed life is basic it's a movie a lot of them playing satan uh, be happy god is free you follow truth if you follow me just call me d i turn the page you really think you're doing something when you're burning sage I done it all and it was nothing but a learning phase Yeah, that's demons casting out demons Giving yourself the power by telling God you don't need him I'm leaving all of my problems to the most high You see what God do behind the scenes and make his soul cry And you don't have to be in church with a suit and a bow tie I'm saying when you sinking, he'll be right there when you boat die I call him Wi-Fi, look, it's all about connection How much did he study when you see a man was tested? How much did you give when you give a man his blessings? One of my pet peeves is saying it was manifest you can walk outside right now and get shot and die in a second. It's two things I pray for, and that's peace and protection. Did you guess it? <laughs> I ain't saying go believe the reverend I'm saying my praying hands are a secret weapon I kept one for many years Struggles are souvenirs I see we not moving Then that's the reason I disappeared Cause I'm on a mission To break loose in my future years Even if it looks super weird I should be the one Lucifer But can you tell me (laughs) That isn't something wrong with me Cause I'm able to find peace Without walking on the beach Stress free I look at life like you should Cause everything you think is bad Might be good Understood? Hold on